You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. Open with me to the book of Exodus. Um, on the church calendar, how many people know what today is? Maybe if you follow the church calendar today is the day of Pentecost, which marks 50 days after uh, Passover or Easter, what we would celebrate. And what's interesting about the day of Pentecost, I want to just look at this for a few moments this morning, is that uh, as a church, we are trying to um, continue to shift or develop into what we believe the call of God is on our church here. Um, We believe that the church is more than an institution that does good things. The the church is more than just an organized group of people that decide to do charitable contributions, that dig wells, and to do good things. Those are good things, but we are not the only charitable organization. We are not the only organization that uh, rallies together around a good cause. We're not the only people that have morals. We're not the only religion that has morals. Okay, right? So there, there's a lot of organizations that are good, that are moral, but what distinguishes the church is that God has a divine purpose for it. And that divine purpose is for more than church attendance. Uh, the divine purpose of that is that individuals, every single one of us together, the Bible talks about individually and corporately, that a body comes together to represent or represent Christ to a world and to a city. Uh, so um, some people would ask the question that if, uh, if we were no longer in this city or if you no longer in this city, would the city be better or worse without you? That's a question we should be asking ourselves is that are we representing Christ in a way, and I'm not just talking about morally, that's a part of it, but in a way that people would recognize that the presence of Jesus is in a city because City Lights Church is here. Uh, and the presence of Jesus is in my workplace because I'm here. There's something unique about it where I'm not just a, a good person, I'm not just a moral person, but there's something unique about it that distinguishes that. And uh, what we see in Exodus chapter 19 is unique because uh, if you, we'll just read starting in verse 3 just for a few moments and then we're going to spend a, a few moments together today in worship and a little bit of prayer. Uh, starting in verse 3, Exodus 19, this is... Moses going up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And I want you to see this. What's interesting is that God calls Moses up on a mountain and he says, I want you to tell my people something. And what does he want to say? Remind them that they were taken up out of Egypt and delivered on eagles' wings. Now, Egypt is a type. Egypt is a symbol. Uh, Egypt shows us what we have as Christians come out of. Uh, That we have come out of something. That when we come to Christ, uh, we come out of something. We come out of our our past uh, sin, our struggles, uh, whatever's holding us back, out of the kingdom of darkness. But that Moses says, I want you to remind my people where they came from, but then where they're going. So that it's, in other words, to be a Christian is, is not enough just to be out of sin. We have to enter into something. Uh, because it's not just enough to stop doing something. We have to start doing something. So Christianity is not just stopping behaviors and starting new behaviors. It's for a purpose. 
And what does Moses tell us this purpose is here? He says, I want you to tell my people that I want to choose them as a holy chosen nation, a kingdom of priests. So I'm not just delivering you from sin and darkness so that you can be uh, sentenced to church for the rest of your life. I'm not going to uh, sentence you. I, I, I used to hear people talk about heaven and, and what this thing would look like as if uh, we we're going to sing the same song for eternity. Just over and over and over in just this way that some of us are bored by the songs we sing here. We're like, How? I don't know if I really want to go to heaven. I don't want to burn in hell forever, but I don't want to sing the same songs for forever. That doesn't sound too good. There's more to it than that. Uh, that God doesn't just save us for this thing that we just kind of float around and we don't. No, he's calling us, what the scripture says, to himself. That there's a communion with God, a relationship that is not limited to one individual, two individuals, but God is offering to an entire nation of people. What happens though, turn over with me very quickly, just one chapter, chapter 20, we see this. Right after the Ten Commandments are given to Moses, in verse 18 says this, literally right after the Ten Commandments. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. That's very interesting because uh, we, we grow up teaching uh, our, the kids Ten Commandments, and I think there's a part of it that's okay. I think it's better to teach them the New Commandment than the Old Commandments, that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that all the things rest on those. We're not just, it's amazing to me that Christians fight over the Ten Commandments and Christ fulfilled them perfectly. Uh, that, 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 that's the struggle. Now, what's interesting, though, is that we stop right there. But these Ten Commandments were not an exterior code for them to apply to their lives. This was not something that they were to hang on their wall or to fight over at a courthouse. I'm just being completely honest with you. This is not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments, God was saying, because you're my people, this is how my people are to live. Uh, and juxtaposed to If you live like this, you'll be my people. Let me explain that. Very different. Uh, This is him saying, I've redeemed you, and because I've redeemed you, here's the rules of the house. Not, if you start to live like this, you can come in my house. That right there is a vast contrast between the gospel and religion. The gospel says, God accepts us, therefore I obey. Religion says, if I obey, I'm accepted. But what we see is that even in the Old Covenant, God delivers them from Egypt out of sheer grace, out of mercy. There's nothing, uh, we know that the story tells us that they are making bricks without, uh, without hay, without mortar. They're just making bricks. I'm not even sure what they made it out of. There was nothing about that. They were groaning and they were crying. And God goes, you know what, I'm going to save you. Not because anything, you know, you didn't do some, they weren't doing their weekly devotions. How many people know? They, weren't, they didn't open up going through Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren or something like that every day. And they weren't singing beautiful songs. And God says, you know what? Because you've obeyed, now you're going to be my chosen people. No, God says, I'm going to save you. And the Ten Commandments then are this. You are accepted, therefore you obey. Not like so many religions say. If you fulfill these things, then you'll be accepted. But what's interesting is this, the moment he gives them the Ten Commandments, what happens? 
we see this storm break out. Flashes of lightning. We see thunder, smoke, the sound of a trumpet blowing. And what's the first thing people say? Moses, you speak to us lest we die. Moses, you speak to us lest we die. I would suggest that when I look at the church of Jesus Christ today, this is the exact scenario that we recapitulate over and over and over, Sunday morning after Sunday morning, over and over and over. Speaker, pastor, Jared, Jesse, whoever, you speak to us lest we've got to have responsibility for this thing. I believe that God is calling every single one of us in this church, everyone, not, not, one, not one person, not two people, into a relationship with God through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in a way that each of us intimately are aware and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit for ourselves. Not something that is uh, an external code that we hang on the wall. I want you to see that, as we've talked about before, what's amazing is that he's given these Ten Commandments, and what does Moses say right there? Okay, Lord, I thank you, thank you for the law. I really appreciate it. That's great. But if your presence doesn't go with us, we're, we're missing this thing. Because God, the God of the Bible, is more than a stale history book. He is living, active, and desires to speak to you. Speak to you. God desires to speak to you. When we look at that, how often, though, do we kind of look at our lives, our relationship with God, kind of hang the Ten Commandments on the wall, or we hang the scriptures on our wall, which I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it may help your memory, but we kind of hang them there, and we look at those to almost develop a uh, a measuring stick. Like when I was young, I'd go to Hershey Park and I always wanted to ride the Great Bear, which I thought was a really exciting roller coaster. Then now I'm older, I look at them, that's not that exciting. But when I was younger, I'd, I'd try to figure out every way, every year, right? I'd look at that thing. You had to be, I think, 40 inches tall, which is quite small. But I, I'd, I'd go to that thing and I would just, you know, I'd try to stretch and I'd stand and I'd kind of, you know, try to do the David Blaine, I'm floating thing, you know, right? Trying to show any way I can to reach that mark because if I could reach that mark, then I could get in. And how many times do we take um, God, the creator, uh, everything, and we hang it on our wall through a couple scriptures and in doing so, we kind of try to say, okay, do I measure up enough? And if I measure up enough, I'll let my conscience be at ease or I'll allow myself to go into a relationship with him. I want to say this to you. You can never qualify yourself for a relationship with God. You can't. There's nothing on your, um, you know, people think that they have, uh, you know, you have good days and bad days or bad side of the bed, bad hair days, whatever, whatever it is. Um, when the scripture says that all fall short of the righteousness of God, uh, he's not talking about on your bad day. He's talking about on your best day. Um, and so that, that's not when you wake up one day and you have a good day and God's like, good, all right, finally, you can do this thing without me. And on a bad day, God, I really need you because um, salvation, uh, I'll say like this, salvation is not a life saver or life preserver that God throws to you. It is resuscitation to your soul. In other words, without him, we are nothing. Without him, we have nothing. He's not saying here is the Bible, go do it on your own, now figure this thing out. There's something that absolutely separates us. What separates us is that we as Christians believe that the third person of the Trinity lives inside of us. Lord have mercy, that is insane 
to actually believe that if this isn't God. What concerns me, though, is that I think when we see the power of the Scripture, for some reason, I mentioned this before, but as Americans, we have the right to vote and the right to complain. I don't know if it's a right, but we just do. We, we have the right to make uh, fun of anything, complain about anything. And it's amazing. If you go on blogs, online things, you read, you know, you just scroll down on something and, and see how people can make a negative situation literally out of anything. And there's something in our culture that we have this feeling and entitlement to, to just vote and to, to spew opinions. Now, listen, I'm not talking about disagreeing. You can disagree with me all you want. Now, what happens, though, is that we carry that um, interpretive lens into reading the scripture to the point where the Bible becomes more like a fortune cookie than it does like God's word. Uh, You go out to a Chinese restaurant, and I know you do this, and you crack open those fortune cookies, right? And you peel that thing out, and that cookie is probably 150 years old. It tastes the cardboard, right? And you, you try to eat, I can never eat those things, but it just, the moment it touched my tongue, it saps all energy. I'm completely dehydrated. I'd be carried out of the restaurant. The moment I touch those, I just push them aside. But we pull out those fortune cookies, right? And then what happens is we read, we compare, and we exchange, or you put a phrase like on the toilet after it or something like that. Maybe you've done that, okay? So you, 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 you read that, though, and you, you vote on it. And you try to apply it to one person and not to another. And it looks at something that it's take it or leave it. If I like it, good. If I don't, I'll, I'll just put it back on the table. It's not a big deal. And what happens is that um, we carry that type of uh, opinion into the Bible to the point where uh, we can see that God is actually really desiring to speak to you. And I would even say through you, and yet we can look at that and go, well, not, 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 not really. But here's the thing. God offers all of Israel this relationship with God. Everybody. He doesn't say like, okay, now, for the, uh, now Moses, for the ones that really you know, attain a, a certain level of spirituality, we're going to let them uh, you know, come up to a higher level. No, God says, I'm going to give this word to you so you can tell everybody I want a kingdom of priests. What does a priest do? It stands between God and man. Represents man to God and represents God to man. What we see, though, is that Israel rejects this offer. Just flat out. They don't want it. It's sad, but that we can do the same thing. God. God, creator, sustainer, offers us this type of thing. And we can look at it and be like, ah, not really. Not interested. What we see in 1 Peter is that this covenant promise that was rejected by the children of Israel, is now offered to all Christians. And I would say this, whether you realize it or not, if you are in Christ, First Peter says, at one time you weren't, verse 9, but you are now a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Think about that. Look at the jealousy that God has for you. Good jealousy. I'm not talking about that... Uh, Facebook jealousy or something like that. I'm talking about good jealousy. Not that angry, crazy girlfriend jealousy. Okay, I'm the good jealousy. Right? We've all experienced the other at one time or another. But you are a chosen people for a purpose. A, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The implications of this are massive. This, is, this, this means m- m- more than showing up, 
hanging the Ten Commandments on the wall. I look at it. I try to get in. Okay, good. I'm in. I'm out. No, no, no. This is, this is something that God is communicating that we have an intimate place in his eyes. Holy priesthood, his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. First Peter is telling us that the gospel has to do more in our hearts than make us attend church. You cannot proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light if you're surrounded by people that are also in the marvelous light. You can't do it. This very text demands that the gospel does something in our hearts that takes us to people and places where we are surrounded by people that have not experienced that good gospel. I want to say this. I believe that God in you, Christ in you, the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to come out of you more than you know. Have you ever thought about this as we transition here just in a moment? Why do, why do we have to pray? You know what I mean? Why do we have to pray? It's just prayer is a weird thing. I mean, really think about it. I mean, if God's, God's really in control, which I do believe he's completely in control, 100%, sovereign, does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and nobody gets to impeach him, and he's not resigning. He's just doing what he wants. He's sovereign. But yet he offers, here, pray. Just, just go for it. Isn't that a weird thought? God is 100%. He does whatever he wants. The scripture says that he sits in heaven and does as he pleases. And yet he offers us this strange thing called prayer. that We actually get to communicate with him. And in some way, some mysterious way, we see in the Bible God uh, changing his mind. Where he's going to destroy somebody and then we see Abram, becomes Abraham later, he goes... Uh, uh, if, if you find just a handful of righteous people, you won't destroy that. Okay, that's fine. Go ahead, Abraham. We'll, go, well, there's not that many. Well, if you find this. No, there's not that many. Well, if you find this. No, and ultimately, sorry, I didn't find enough. You see, at one time, God's ready to smite all of Israel. Moses gets down and goes, God, please don't. And God's going, okay, I won't. What on earth is that? Now, listen, I, I can't figure out divine sovereignty, human responsibility at all. But but what I can figure out is this, that when God tells us through the scripture that we lay hands on the sick so that they recover, why does he he ask us that? Why do we have to pray? Why are we praying for Caleb? I mean, really, why do we pray for him? I mean, if God just wants to heal him, couldn't he just heal him? I mean, theologically, yes, he can. There's There's nothing that stops God from doing as he desires. However, I think the pattern that we see in scripture is this, that God is not interested in robots and God is not interested in spectators. God is not interested in um, pulling the strings of humanity. God is interested in having people that have radical free will that yield to his radical sovereignty. He's looking for people that are passionate for him that understand his purposes and that are not spectators that sit back and wait for him to do things. Why? Why on earth does God ask us to lay hands on the sick 
That doesn't make any sense to me. Why do we have to do that? I, would, I, would, I just want to suggest this. Maybe because God already knows that he can do it, but maybe you don't realize he can. Maybe that's why he wants us to pray. Because I don't think God is narcissistic or egotistical. I don't think he sits in heaven and he wonders about his complex. I don't think he runs an opinion poll. Where am I at this month? Right? Well, the Republican Party's voting me a little bit lower. Well, we better get Congo, Holy Spirit. You better do some miracles around here. People are just losing faith all over the world. Holy Spirit, just do a couple miracles. Show up at a church. I don't know, start a revival for like a week or two. Just kind of build a little bit of hope back. Get our opinion polls back up. Then you can just disappear for another 2,000 years. I don't think that's what he does. Maybe, maybe the reason that God wants to speak through you, literally, has more to do not with God wondering who he is, but him convincing us of who he already is. I really mean that. Why does he want us to lay hands on the sick? God doesn't look there and go, I wonder if I can heal people today. No, but how many times do we question? How many times do we look at our own lives and we think, well, no, God doesn't really speak, God doesn't really speak to me. I mean, it's just kind of this thing. Well, maybe, maybe he wants to do that because you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. God is choosing us for a purpose bigger than ourselves. What does this look like practically? We're about to close. I see a church that when we leave here, church starts. Actually, I shouldn't say that. And church is just always. It's not a building. God bless you. It's, it, it's not a building that we assemble and leave. It's not when I come together, I have church, but it's something about that each individual here shares a beautiful characteristic, beautiful attributes of the character and nature of God that no one else in this room can express. No one else. You carry certain um, elements. We are as diverse as the fingerprints on your hands. And God wants to shine through you to this city. Really does. Really, 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 really he does. We have a choice, though. We can yield to that purpose. We can either say, you know what, Lord, I, I, I want to be a royal priesthood. How many people know that this isn't just symbolic here? This is a fulfillment of a promise. I told you it's the day of Pentecost. Um, on church calendars, 50 days after Passover. We see in Acts chapter 2, the scripture says, and when the day of Pentecost had fully arrived, they were all together in one place and in one accord, and God poured out his spirit. And we see this fulfillment of the promises of God coming into a church, birth of the church. And I've heard pastors and preachers take that text and try to turn that thing into a recipe. All right, ready team? If we can all get on the same page, all in the same place, right, then it'll happen again. I've got, got wonderful news for you. You ready for this? Uh, That wasn't their plan. They, they weren't waiting and anticipating the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the day of Pentecost in this way. Like, okay, now let's all get on the same page in, in one accord. Now, what, what do we see, actually? We see the early church is totally dismembered, mangled, confused. They're in Pentecost because they're Jewish. They're not there at Pentecost because they're Christian. 
That's why they're in Jerusalem. And God goes, you know what? Uh, my, my promise is, is bigger than your problem. My promise is bigger than your ability to fulfill this thing because I want to pour out my spirit and all you have to do is just be there. I've heard pastors, teachers, preachers, all different types of things trying to say, all right, let's get in unity. Let's get in the same place. The problem with that, ready for this, is that we are human and we will never be in one accord. We will never be in one accord and in one spirit and one place without Christ in the first place. Let's stop putting up all of these markers for God to have to jump over, climb over. 